let's let's jump into this. I today we got a lot going on in our world right now, and uh, I feel like it's been building, you know. And so today I I want I'm going to talk a little bit out of John 17. Um, I've been kind of stewing on this chapter. We talked about it with the men last week, but uh, I also want to talk about some of the words of Christ um, that pointed to the day and age that we're living in. And I'll tell you this that regardless of what's happening, the church is called to lead the way in healing the land. I promise you that. The answer is not in finance. The answer is not in government. The answer is not in anything else other than what God said the answer would be. And that would be Jesus Christ, him crucified, resurrected, ascended, sent the spirit on this amazing Pentecost to fill us with Christ, to give us his heart, to give us his mind, and to send us on mission to a deaf and dying world that can only be healed from this eternal sickness called sin that is the reason that all of this stuff is happening in our world today. And so we have four values that we've talked about, just to reiterate them. Um, things that uh, when we were on sabbatical, Connie and I, we got away and we took three months and, and uh, we just uh, took some time after 25 years of um, grinding and pressing, and uh, we just wanted to get with God, get some relaxation, and hear his voice for the next 25, should he tarry. Um, and four things that we heard, and they're all biblical, but just kind of a way to remember it. Redeemed Church is called to impact this hour of history through bold engagement. That's number one, that we're not going to be on the sidelines. God didn't call us to a mediocre, a mediocre faith. He didn't call us just to kind of put our toes in the water. That when he said, uh, I died on the cross and I've called you to be a part of this family and a part of this mission, um, he didn't say, I want you to be a weekend warrior. He's like, man, this is the life. It's no longer I who live to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so the way we engage with God, no, none of us are there yet 100%, but he's called us to boldly engage our faith, to boldly engage the mission. The other thing, number two, is bilingual faith. <clears throat> bilingual faith doesn't mean that we go around um, sharing Jesus in Spanish and English or in French and uh, English, whatever. It, it means that we speak the language of heaven and earth. Meaning that like the Pharisees spoke the language of heaven and they knew the law, they knew the Torah, they knew the prophets, but they couldn't connect with a sinner if their life depended on it. Why? Because they didn't know how to build bridges, right? They didn't understand how to get into the heart of a broken prostitute who lived in shame. All they could do is just judge her according to the law. That's wrong. That behavior is wrong. This isn't right. But when Jesus came, he spoke the language of heaven because he was the language of heaven made flesh. But his audience, he sat with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, and he, he built that bridge through language and through the incarnation where he drew men to repentance because he got into the life of you and I by becoming one of us. And so our faith should look like that. Uh, number three is bridges to the broken. Jesus said, I didn't come for those who are well. I came for the sick as the great physician. And so when we're on mission in Lakewood and DuPont, Pierce County and Spanaway and the Northwest, wherever God would lead us, that he puts in the bullseye, the broken, the heartbroken, the marginalized, um, those who need help, those who need hope. And so there's a scent, there's a beautiful scent that comes from the crushing of a life when that life 
finds its healing from that brokenness in the great physician. And so we want to send a scent up to heaven that says, God, we have entered the brokenness of our society and our community, and we're committed to bringing redemption and healing to it. And lastly, um, and this is produced out of doing all these things, it is becoming a body of diversity. And let me say this, because I really believe this about Redeemed Church. We are a, a diverse body, not diverse enough. But when you look at most churches, and this isn't a comparison thing, if you pastor in Gig Harbor, good luck having an all-black church. Can I get an amen? It's just not going to happen in Gig Harbor. And nothing again, the Gig Harbor needs the gospel, right? Um, if you live in other areas of the country, it'd be hard to get a uh, you know 10% white population in your church. So you reach your community. But isn't it amazing that God has put us in one of the most diverse places in the nation, literally, Lakewood, Tacoma, Pierce County, how many languages are spoken, how many ethnicities and, and cultures, and God put us in the middle of it. And when you look at our body, we have a body that is diverse, but we want to reflect our community. And one of the most beautiful things is when the church of Jesus Christ reflects the community that it exists in meaning that every single person has a place at the table. Whether you're young or old, black or white, male or female, it doesn't matter what your background is. The, the beauty of the gospel is this is not for the elite. It's not for the ones that uh, have had the greatest uh, biblical education. You know that, that Jesus wasn't hanging outside of the, uh, the seminary. There's nothing wrong with seminary. You need to be educated, right? Biblical literacy is very important. But he went and found a diverse group of guys. Yeah, they were all Jews, but look at their political backgrounds and some of the, they were very diverse. And what did they do? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and all these nations came into Jerusalem during Pentecost and they got touched, 3,000 saved. They went back to their respective nations and the gospel started to spread. And then it went to the Gentiles. And so God has given us this call and this commission. It's beautiful, but it's hard. Why is it hard? Well, we're seeing it right now on social media. The reason unity and diversity is so hard is because uh, we think different based on the culture we grew up in. Uh, we have very strong Republican, very strong Democrat in our congregation, right? Um, we have folks that grew up in very white communities, very black communities, Islander, Hispanic, Asian, well, you take with you a, a different way of thinking. And so the goal is, it, the goal is not uniformity. The goal is unity, right? And this is the key. This is what only the gospel can heal. And, and I have goosebumps right now. Just the fact that like God has allowed us to live in a day and age where things are spinning so out of control, uh, especially in this country lately, when it comes to the racial tension and if we will be humble, if we'll lean in, if we'll be hungry to see God move, maybe God would give us the ability to lead into a solution that government and society can't figure out. I hope you believe that because that's straight up out of the Bible. Let me tell you this, and, 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 and then we'll get into John 17 in a moment, but let me tell you what lies ahead in the future. So I don't have a crystal ball. Um, I'm not Nostradamus. Um, I didn't have an alien visit me and tell me, but I do have a, a, a source that tells me what the future holds. 
And it's the very Bible that you and I read and, and believe. So here's what's going to happen. Um, after this next election in 2020 here, um, if it is a Democrat that gets elected, um, the world will get more spiritually dark. If it's a Republican that gets elected, the world will get more spiritually dark. Do you see where I'm going here? Yes. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter uh, who we elect. Now, go vote, okay? Uh, so, but what we're doing is I see a lot of Christians that, yes, we engage community, we engage society. We should be involved in every aspect of culture with a kingdom heart, with a kingdom mind, right? So here's what's going to happen in the near future, progressing into the further future until Jesus comes back. It will get more spiritually dark. There will be more Christians and more churches that depart from the truth. There will be less tolerance for true believers who adhere to the word of God as the inerrant source of inspiration that guides our life. There's going to be less and less tolerance for people that actually hold true to the word of God. Here's what's going to happen in the future, in the near future, and it's already happening. We're already seeing it. Multitudes of Christians or, or churchgoers, however you want to phrase it, right, will be deceived and spiritually drugged into a lazy, lukewarm, non-committed version of faith. It will look like the opposite of bold engagement. Because what the Bible says is with the great apostasy, I, I, I keep beating this drum. But the reason I keep beating this drum is because it's the number one deception that's going to come upon the earth. And the enemy's not going to leave those who call Jesus Lord alone. But what will happen, it'll be like uh, getting hit with a tranquilizer. And all of a sudden, there'll be less passion. There'll be uh, less desire to seek God. It'll be very self-centered. Christianity for many, not all, but for many, there'll be a temptation at least um, to form or embrace a Christianity that is about my comfort, my agenda, my schedule, my desires, um, and my timetable, something that fits me. See, God made us in his image and in his likeness, but when the fall happened, we now want to make God in our image, in our likeness, and that's the temptation that Satan wants to bring, but there will be a remnant in the future. Hopefully right now, God is birthing it. What lies ahead is all those things, but be of good courage because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And for those who follow him, he's given us overcoming power. So there will be a remnant of those who stay faithful to Christ and his mission, and they will burn bright like the candlestick in Revelation, and they will be a city on a hill, and they will lead many to righteousness in Jesus. So secular people and Christians alike, here's the thing that we're seeing will increasingly try to find their hope, their direction, and their solutions in man's leadership instead of the Messiah's leadership, who is Lord. Now, why is this important? Because Satan is a deceiver, okay? Now, think about this. Well, if he deceives, and that's part of his name, then we have to assume that deception is always at our front door. It's always knocking. It's always trying to get us even to see one degree off. That's why we have to take 
uh, some thoughts captive, right? No, we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because the way we think directs how we act and the choices we make. And then that spreads. And when it gets into a body collectively, you can see where masses move in the wrong direction or the right direction. And so you could say, well, uh, well, if he's a deceiver, then I'm just going to work really hard to look out for deception. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to I'm going to be vigilant about finding things that are deceiving. That's not how it works. Deception is so deceiving that it assumes you and I are going to look to find deception so that we're not deceived. So it will, it will uh, dress itself in a way that doesn't look like deception. So the goal of not being deceived in this hour and staying fiery hot focused is not to try and find deception. It's to look unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. It's to fall deeply in love with the truth. Because when I know the truth, deception is easily spotted because I'm constantly looking at and trying to live the version that changes my life and changes the world. So here's one more thing before we get into the other, uh, into John 17. Jesus even said in the end, there will be racial division. Where did he say that, Dave? Matthew 24, 7 through 8. And I'm not going to go through all the signs of the times, and this isn't necessarily an end times message. I'm just pointing out what we're seeing erupt in our cities right now. And Jesus pointed to it. But it's hidden in translation. In Matthew, 7, or Matthew 24, 7 and 8, it says, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Doesn't it sound like uh, he just said the same thing? Doesn't it sound like, isn't nation and kingdom the same thing? Uh, well, it's not. So let me read it again. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Now check this out. We think of nation as like a country. We live in, the, you know, in one of the greatest or the greatest nation on, on the earth, right? The United States of America. Uh, but nation, when you look it up in the Greek here, the word is actually in the Greek ethnos. This is where we get the name ethnicity, where we get the word ethnicity. Kingdom is about a country. It's a land territory led by a king um, who has a, a territory or a boundary of rule. So China would be under this old phrase kingdom. But ethnos, yes, there's ethnos in a kingdom, but ethnicity um, you can have a ton of different ethnos in one kingdom like the United States, the great melting pot. And so what it says in the end days, along with one of the other uh, signs of the times that men, uh, uh, there'll be uh, cold love, that uh, the love of many will grow cold. So, so he says that in the end times, there'll be this awakening of ethnic hostility toward one another. But God gave the cure to racial division, the care that government cannot produce. And this is what we're in the middle of. And the reason I'm talking about this is because, again, I feel like based on who we are, based on our demographics, based on our city, based on the vision, based on the time that we live in, I believe that God has called Redeemed Church to, if we're going to specialize in one thing, of course, it's saving souls, but one of the ways that we're going to reach souls is by by leading in the solution to bringing unity amongst diversity under the banner and common denominator of Jesus Christ. And so the cure 
is this. It's all ethnos becoming a new ethnos and a new family. The way out of the race war is by receiving the new race. But let me read a passage that I don't know that I've ever really preached on much. First Peter 2.9, it says this, but you are a chosen race. He's saying this to all believers. You're a chosen race. This word race means genos. It's the word genos. And the Greek word means family. Now watch this. I know I'm kind of breaking some words down here. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Okay, this word nation is ethnos. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now let me read that with those definitions in place. Redeemed church, this is what Jesus is saying to you and I. You who are in Jesus are a holy chosen family, a royal priesthood, a set apart ethnicity, a people for his own possession. He purchased us into his possession, out of darkness, into spiritual light, by the blood of Jesus. Why did he set us apart? To proclaim to a dying and divided world how excellent he is. So who reaches the, all the ethnos groups when there's ethnic hostility? It's those who have been brought out of many ethnos into one ethnos still keeping our diversity, but finding our unity in the fact that kingdom is bigger than culture. And the blood of Jesus that runs in my veins is more prominent and more powerful and more binding with you and I than the German blood that runs through my veins. Does this make sense? I know I can't hear any amens, but uh, I hope that you're tracking with me here. So God is saying it's a challenge. And, And Dave, we already know this. You know, I, we get this. We, but here's the thing. I'm, I'm watching on social media, and, and it breaks my heart. And this is why I'm, I've said this in my post, if you read it. But the reason that I'm slower to jump into hotbed issues on social media in someone's uh, thread is, is because when you don't know a person and you haven't sat face-to-face with a person, and you don't know uh, their, their pain, you don't know where they've come from, you don't know what they've experienced. When I don't know your story, it's hard for me to care as much about your heart. But the more I know you, the more I, I, I can grasp a picture of, of why you might feel or think the way you do, and it allows me to wanna listen more and to love more. But I'm watching on social media, you guys, and it breaks my heart, and I know it breaks the heart of God when, when Christians who are supposed to be bound together in the unity of faith in Christ Jesus by his Holy Spirit, the, the reason that Jesus died for us on the cross, the reason that he shed his blood is to make one family out of many, Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, slaves, free, to make one family that there's no one above anybody else. And there's Christians fighting and, and destroying one another in the public forum. Like the world is watching churches because of um, standing on this political issue or standing on this political. Listen, we're going to disagree again. Uniformity is impossible and it's not the mind of God. Unity is. We can still have different political views. We can still have 
um, different preferences about music. We can still have different uh, emphasis on, you know, what we think the church should be doing or which gifts should be elevated. The evangelist is going to always think that evangelism is the most important. That, you know, somebody that's a shepherd will think that, you know, caring for the sheep. We need them all together. But, but it's sad when, you know, I'm on the phone with a very, very elderly man and he's in tears two days ago um, because he had conflict with another believer who he loves on a thread and he's breaking down, sobbing on the phone because of the pain in his heart of, of fighting with somebody that he loves over these issues that we're seeing. And so here we have Jesus saying, here's the answer. The answer is we've got to fight not for our political stance. We have to fight for justice for sure. It, it, trust me, listen, I'm not saying ignore the issues. We as the church, if anybody should be diving into the issues, it's us. It's the church of Jesus Christ. We don't ignore it. But think about social media. Listen, if you don't say anything, you get blown up, right? If you're silent, you get blown up. If you say too much, you get blown up. If you, if you lean a little to the left, you get blown up. To the right, you get blown up. So what I'm saying is what's happening is not working. It's not working. What, what, what Jesus said would work is this, Galatians 3, 26 through 28. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who are baptized into Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, you are all one in Christ. And so Jesus in heaven, there's going to be what? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So diversity still exists. But church, like Liz said, we need to pray. We need to seriously pray that God would expose stuff in our own heart that causes division. Um, biases and prejudice in our own heart against people groups. Let me, this, this isn't in my notes, but fill in the blank in your mind. Can we just do this for a second? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something, and then I want you to, don't say it out loud, but just kind of fill in the, the blank, okay? What pops into your mind? White people are, what, com what comes to your mind? Again, don't say it. Black people are, what? Mexicans are, Asians are, Islanders, Islanders are cool. Let's just admit it. Uh, Islanders are just chill. But what came to your mind? What popped up in you? Do you see? I'm talking, I'm having some real raw conversations right now. But how am I doing it? Voice to voice and face to face with people to get down to the real issues. When this thing popped off with this man tragically losing his life, um, we reached out and uh, Kurt and I got on a Zoom with Eddie. And Eddie is an African-American who is a kingdom dude. If you read his post, his last post on Facebook, it was beautiful. He, he, he talked about the fact that like sin expresses itself in many different ways, but man, let's not lose focus on we as the church are to be a peculiar people. We handle it different. Now, I know I've harped on that a lot, but I wanted to um, just to kind of get the point across. And so here's the deal. Feelings are strong and feelings in times like this can become facts to us. Feelings can become truth, but have you ever noticed that when your feelings are really strong, you tend to say things later that you didn't mean, and you tend to do things that you really didn't mean? We've got to be careful in this time 
that we as the church walk circumspectly, that we be careful about what comes out of our mouth, and that we look to genuinely bring healing with the words we speak, that we look to have conversations, but we look to listen to people so that we can win a heart instead of trying to win an argument. This is the time that God has called us to rise up because here's the thing, Jesus Christ gives some crazy words. They're crazy in some sense, but here's, here, I'm going to read some of these things here that Jesus said, and it doesn't sound like the Jesus that gets painted sometimes, okay? One of the things that he says is this. He says, Matthew 10, 34, do not assume that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, I've come to actually do physical war. The sword is truth. What he's saying is that, hey, when you see, and I think this will be a part of the end time apostasy, is that you're going to see this movement to rally around trying to get everybody to get along, put aside your belief here, your belief there, and can't we just all get along? Jesus said, I didn't come to bring world peace. I came to bring truth, and I came to bring peace with God. Now watch. If man will enter into peace with God, of course peace on earth is possible. But where there's a rejection of the prince of peace, peace on earth will never be possible. Now, it doesn't mean Christians go out and be hateful, and we don't beat people over the head with truth. We operate in truth and in love at the same time. But what happens is that when we start to take a man-made approach, then we start to say, well, the goal is peace. So therefore, I have to put down truth. I promise you, the scripture says that you and I who stand on the truth, it's going to be harder and harder to proclaim the truth of Jesus without being persecuted for it. It's coming. It's just coming. It's nothing to be afraid about because God, for those who stand in truth, he's going to use us to change the world and bring one last outpouring that will reach multitudes before his return. Here's another thing. Matthew 10, uh, or 26, 8 through 10. This is a woman who's pouring this bottle of perfume over Jesus' head. Uh, It says, uh, when the disciples saw this, it was expensive. It was like Chanel. Um, They were indignant and asked, why waste this? This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Then Jesus says another controversial statement. The poor you will have with you always, but you will not have me with you always. Now, is he saying we shouldn't care about the poor? No. He's just saying that you'll, we are not going to solve world peace and we're not going to solve poverty. Now, ironically, Jesus builds his ministry on going to the poor and blessed are the peacemakers, but it's not under the same agenda as the world. What we do is not try to put a Band-Aid on big problems. What we're trying to do is bring actual healing that is found when we bring people to the foot of the cross, not our political bent. When we bring people to salvation in Jesus Christ, not to to, uh, mark a different uh, answer on a ballot. Please vote. Please vote according to the scripture as much as you can. But do you see what I'm saying? Like the goal here is that we would serve the poor that we would enter the hostility of racial tension, that we would enter the, the, the ele- that we would address the elephants in the room, that we would go and listen and love people that we might be considered our enemies, 
with the motive of leading them to Jesus. Because here's the thing, where does racism come from? Where does corruption come from? It comes from sin in the heart. Listen, this might sound bad, but you know, God didn't call us to end racism. God called us to destroy sin, which ends racism, right? Racism is a behavior of someone that has wickedness in their heart to look at an African-American or to look at an Asian or, or vice versa, people that are prejudiced against whites or whatever, to, to, to dog another ethnos because of their skin color or whatever, that's just from sin. So the government cannot legislate racism out of our hearts. All the government can do is they can incentivize better behavior and they can punish bad behavior. But the gospel will transform behavior by touching the heart. And finally, let me, let me uh, end with this, and then we'll read these passages here. The, ver- the only peace this world will ever see, the only time, and this is where deception is going to come, you guys. The only time we will see world peace will be when the Antichrist comes on the scene. How long was Jesus' ministry? It was three and a half years, right? The anti-Jesus, the Antichrist will come, and he will pose as the Messiah for three and a half years. There will be global peace and global prosperity like the world has never, ever, ever known. So tribulation is about to increase, and it'll get really bad before the great tribulation, and someone will come with an answer. Someone will come and will rally mankind around a man-centered idea that's fueled by the enemy that will get the focus off of Jesus and the truth and usher in the greatest time of prosperity and peace the world has ever known. And we'll all get along and we'll all hold hands, except for devout Christians will be able to sense it if they're still around, depending on what, what your eschatology is. But think about this, that at the end of the three and a half years, same time Jesus you know, went up to heaven, this man will be exposed and unleash theory on the earth and God will pour out his wrath. And then that's when the great tribulation happens. The point is this, right now we're seeing the earth and a lot of Christians literally taking positions that are setting up the antichrist because the world is looking for a man, a policy, a government to help us all get along at the cost of the truth that saves the soul, not just saves the lives. And this is where God's called us to step in. Here's what Jesus says in John 17. This is by John Knox called the Holy of Holies in the Bible. It's Jesus' longest prayer before he went to the cross. And I'm only going to read a few snippets for the sake of time. Jesus said, as he's praying for his disciples, he says, I'm not praying for them. Or he says, I'm praying for them in verse 9. Now watch this. He says, I am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. That's crazy. Jesus said, I'm not praying for the world. In fact, I thought about it. I'm like, man, Jesus never did pray for the world in his ministry. I can't, I mean, he may have, he did, he does want the world to be saved. That's why he sent us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. So Jesus cares about the world coming to him. But how does Jesus reach the world? He, he, He does it by praying for you and I that we would come alive with the truth and love and that we would go out in the world and proclaim him.
But Jesus doesn't wave his hand over the world and say, um, everyone get along. Because he doesn't want us to grow attached to this place that he's going to pull us from one day. It's not going to get better here, guys. It's going to get worse for the world. It's going to get better for the true church that rises up and is ready to be a conduit for his miracle power when no one has a solution. So he prays for us. And then in verse 14, it says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So he's not, he's not calling us to the Amish lifestyle. No offense if you're Amish watching this. God bless you. I, I, I wish I could live an Amish lifestyle many days because my life's a little too busy. But he's, he's not saying, I want you to retreat. This isn't about like, hey, kids, we got to huddle up. There's wolves out there. No, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. He said, I'm not telling you to, asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, but I'm asking you to keep redeemed church, my flock, from the evil one while they're in the world. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So how do we operate in this hostile world um, full of wolves and agendas that are literally setting up the Antichrist and deceiving many? The truth. We've got to be people who love the truth. We've got to be people who um, dive into the truth, who refuse the lazy Christianity, the mediocre Christianity, the half-hearted Christianity that the enemy is tempting all of us into, the, 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 the hybrid Christianity where it's, it's politic uh, religion, it's um, Sunday-only Christianity, it's I kind of feel this, and I'm going to add these scriptures to my life, Christianity. Listen, it is Jesus or bust. It is his way, not mine. He is the king. He is the God, and I am the man. And I wake up every day selfish. I wake up every day thinking about me, and I have to climb into my prayer closet and, and die daily because what I want in Dave is not what God wants. So I've got to go to the truth to reset my mind so that I don't fall to deception. And then lastly, and then I'll close, verse 20 says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Right here, guys, Jesus is praying for you and I. So think about this, 2,000 years ago. He says, I'm not just praying for these disciples, but everyone who would believe through the word they speak. And so we have this prayer echoing throughout time, but it's not just echoing like it has no force, like it's distant, because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I right now, and he's praying for us. And, and he goes on to say, that they may all be one. What's his prayer? That all of us, regardless of our uh, political bent, regardless of our opinion on you know, how much we should emphasize the, the, the life of cops or African-Americans or uh, the, the justice system or the anti-justice system. These are things we need to wrestle with, and, and, and we're going to tackle these things. But he's saying in the process, while you tackle it, you figure it out, be one. Be people who refuse to be torn apart by human thinking. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one, so that the world may believe 
that you have sent me. Let me read it in the reverse. If you are not one with one another, if you don't do the hard work of face-to-face, voice-to-voice, wrestling ideas out, not in the public forum where the world can point and laugh and mock our God and mock the Prince of Peace and mock the one who called us into one family, if, if we don't walk in love, the world will not see that Jesus is real and that he was sent from God. Isn't it kind of crazy that the, one of the greatest forms of evangelism there is on the planet is not grabbing a microphone and reading John 3.16? The greatest form of evangelism is when the world sees you and I who think differently, wrestle together in love for the sake of unity and the glorification of Jesus Christ so that on that day of judgment, hell is depleted and heaven is populated. And when it's all said and done, we see folks that may not they weren't like us. Maybe they were our enemies, but we all get ushered into the same kingdom when he rules and reigns on this earth and peace will be evident and prosperity will be evident. And all the tribes, nations, and tongues of the earth who bow their knee to Jesus will be brought in to that which could never be accomplished through human government, but will be a daily reality in the kingdom of God. And it's our job to usher people into that kingdom by doing the hard work of love, by loving the truth, by loving our enemies, by being patient, by by doing life face-to-face and having the courage to engage when it feels uncomfortable. And I close with this, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you have loved me. And I've loved them even as you have loved me. So let me close in prayer. And I just want to take a moment and I just want you to just posture your heart before God right now. I just want you to think of what the Lord is speaking to you in this moment. and what God is bringing up in your heart. So let's just bow before the Lord. I don't know, you might be with your family, but let's just close our eyes right now. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would minister to us. You're present. Lord, we're uh, connecting, not in the building together. We're on Zoom. And Lord, your word is present and your spirit is present. And we're asking you right now, As we think about Pentecost, we're asking you to fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that those who have the fight that is left, that you'd stir the fight back in them. The good fight for the good war. Not not for war, but for the good war. Lord God, I pray that those who have been drugged with a lazy Christianity, it's not about condemnation. We all face it because Satan is a master at what he does that you would wake us up, Lord God, to be people of prayer, to be people who love the truth, to be people who are willing to lay down our rights at times, our our American rights sometimes. Lord God, to lead others to Christ, to listen, to lean in. I become all things to all men that I might win some. May we prioritize as we do life in this world, as we do business, as we vote, and we should. But God, I pray that never, never would kingdom 
um, be put under culture or any other priority in our life. And so Holy Spirit, right now, would you breathe fresh fire on our hearts right now, God, fill us with a passion to lead the way. Lord God, give us a grace to see people through your eyes. God, I pray in Jesus' name as names fly and as accusations and insults fly on social media. Lord God, and as the world tears itself apart, I pray that God, you would give us a voice and posture of love and truth at the same time. God, I pray that you would use us, God, to melt the ice, the cold ice over people's hearts by proclaiming Jesus through our body language, through our service, through our love. God, I pray that you would guard us from division. In Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' name, amen.